0: Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. In our fast moving culture, innovation keeps businesses alive. And within businesses and teams, innovation helps keep you relevant. But as organizations grow, innovation can become difficult or even scary. When things are working, it can be hard to rock the boat and the costs and risks of innovation can actually increase the more you have riding on what you're doing right now. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook on driving innovation, how to foster a culture of innovation within your sales team. In it, you'll discover how to set the correct context for innovation, why culture matters and how you can influence it, and what you can do to foster innovation within your team. Be sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com pod 238. This is Elizabeth Frederick. And just as in the last episode that I uh, recorded, my voice might sound a little bit different from usual. I am recovering from a cold, not the coronavirus. Um, but today I am super excited to share this guest with you. Um, she is the president of LDK Advisory Services, which is a company that develops customized sales effectiveness solutions for clients that are based on their unique culture, their business needs, their tactical challenges, and their professional objectives. She's also a sales enablement and coaching expert at the Sales Experts Channel. She's a member of the Forbes Coaches Council and an advisory board member of the National Association of Women Sales Professionals. So I think she knows something about sales and coaching. She also recently authored Beat the Bots, How Your Humanity Can Future-Proof Your Tech Sales Career, which was named one of the top sales books of all time by Book Authority. She is based outside Chicago in a suburb called Frankfurt, and we are so glad to have you on the show, Anita Nielsen.
1: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here.
0: This should be a great conversation, and I think it's we're really going to be talking about topics that people are passionate about and concerned about, so it should be a lot of fun. But before we jump into um, you know, those those topics from your book, I'd love if you could introduce yourself to our listeners. Talk maybe about um, how you developed the passion for what it is that you're doing and the journey that you took to get where you are today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I won't be able to do justice to what you did for the introduction, but I, I'd love to tell a little bit about my story. So I started out, um, gosh, probably over 20 years ago. And my, my line with that is don't do the math in your head. Um, <laughs> working in um, an IT services company and doing sales. And even before that, I did retail. I'd worked in the mall and, um, you know, different retail, retail companies. And I've always kind of loved being able to sell and being able to have that influence over somebody else and, and have them make the right decision based on my input and insight. So that was something that is kind of always inside of me. But then as I started mm-hmm. to work through my career, I found that you know direct sales was going to be something that could be really lucrative for me and that um, I would enjoy to doing. And so I started to do um, B2B sales tech a lot of IT services, IT outsourcing. And what ended up happening is as I started to go through it, I was doing really well and making my numbers and uh, you know, just overall being, being a top performer, all those things. But I was still nervous um, about the security. And so there was something about the financial aspect of it that always had me a little bit scared, which, you know, to be fair, I was making my numbers, but I couldn't um, get out of my head that someday that could change. And the other thing that was uh-huh. going on at the same time was I was working with a lot of people on my team um, in the sales organization. And then they would come to me with questions and I would answer them or I would help them. I would, you know, help them do a script for a meeting that they were going to have anything that they needed. And I I found I really loved that. And it was almost becoming where that was more um, fulfilling to me and made me happier than even just doing the job, the sales job, and making all that money. So flash forward several years, um, you know, I started to move into more consulting roles, which allows me to do that as well provide guidance and insight and then finally a couple years ago i decided i was going to go out on my own and start my own company so that i could work with customers in a way that i knew mattered to them and was relevant to them and that's where that whole customization thing comes in i got I struggled a lot because i i didn't like this idea of consultants having a 60 page template That they use that they have to fill out for every customer that they go work with i couldn't do Mm -hmm. it um i couldn't do it so that's why i quit that last job because they were pressuring me to do just that and the customer that i was working with i had a great relationship with and i love them and i knew that if i showed up with that uh, template they would have wondered who i was and and you know where i came from because anita would never do that to them right so um So that's that's what triggered me to go into my own business. And it was wonderful. I mean, as soon as I did, I realized, first of all, there's a lot of different things that go into running a business than, uh, you know, a day to day consulting job. But I love it. And it's allowed me the opportunity to work with some incredible sales leaders who you know, are really trying to do the right thing by their sales teams and their uh-huh. team as a whole, right? And they, they they are the kind of sales leaders who understand how important culture is in terms of you know driving or diminishing any initiative you could have for growth. So that's kind of where I play now. And uh, like I said, I love it. It's been just over five years, and really what drives me, I think, is, you know, these sales leaders, they they love to be able to say that they were they, they made a difference in the impact in the lives of their sales professionals. And they did it in a way that wasn't just tied to numbers or metrics, but something that helped them feel like they could grow or that they, they had grown. And so that was um that's something that I, I really appreciate in my role.
0: Absolutely. I I love that story. And I think um some some people will resonate with it and some won't understand it because yeah. What we see a lot is there are top sales performers who get pulled into sales management, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and sometimes they actually uh, don't have the interest mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. it, right? They don't have a, a much of a desire to do what it is that that a sales manager needs to do, which is a lot of that that coaching and mentoring and support yes. that it sounds like you you loved. Um, but you know, it's hard to resist a promotion okay. um, and And then we see that there are people. Um, who, like you, who actually have more of a passion for the coaching and development side than the selling side. And that's perfectly fine. And, and you're actually helping more sales grow than you could impact individually because you're helping all these different people um, to grow sales. So we need both kinds. Absolutely. Um, but um, a, a quick note to listeners who are looking to promote their top salesperson into management. Hmm. Do they seem like an Anita um, <laughs> who, who they really like to coach and develop and mentor other people? Or are they still just passionate about, about hunting and closing that next deal, mm-hmm. maybe you could make them like a senior business development rep and still have a sales manager to do the the dirty work.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. And and so it's funny that you mentioned that. That is one of the reasons why I um, you know do a lot of coaching with these sales leaders is because that that's happened. There's been top sales um, professionals who've been kind of like this lone wolf, wolf personality, but they're top performers. They've consistently done it for years and it's time for promotion. So they get elevated mm-hmm. into a management role. They haven't had management experience in the past. And you know when you're a manager or leader you have to be much more focused on everyone else whereas when you're a lone wolf in sales and you're a top performer typically those individuals are very good at driving themselves right they haven't had Absolutely. to do it for others so what's happened is the reason there's more much more demand i think for the type of work that i do is when that happens you know, that employee is still a great employee and they do need to learn how to become a better coach and do better in their role so maybe in the meantime, here's somebody from the outside that can come in and help us coach our sales team, but also help grow that sales manager into a coach and help them be able to get those skills and that competency. So that's um, an area where there's become much more demand, I would say, even in just the past year. And I joke about it that I'm never going to write another book and because it was a lot of work. But if I were to ever somehow forget all that hard work that I went through <laughs> and decide to do it again, it would be a book for sales um, people that have been promoted to a sales management role who are struggling with that leadership or that management side of it and just don't have the resources to, to help them improve it.
0: Absolutely. Because what we often see is there's absolutely no leadership or management training that's given no. to these people. Uh-uh. And so if you are going to promote your top salesperson and make them the manager or the VP sales or whatever whatever the title is going to be, and then you're not going to train them in how to be an effective manager, you're setting them up to fail.
1: Yeah.
0: And um, like I love what you do because um, th- there's certainly the, the training and developing them, but there's also providing that kind of support, yeah. that, that crutch in the meantime. And it's a, it's perfectly okay to have that support and to be able to offer that to somebody to say, hey, you know, we want to promote you to management and we're we're really excited to see what you can accomplish there. In the meantime, um, we're going to say, you know, you're responsible for these parts of the sales manager job. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're going to bring on this resource who's going to help with the with the other parts. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that can be really helpful.
1: And they lo- and they actually, even the new sales managers when the a couple that I've had experience with more recently, they love that. I mean, they know that when they start that role that they're going to be overwhelmed, right? They're gonna be drinking from a fire hose and learning new processes. So here's another thing that's really interesting for sales managers who are uh, top sales professionals. When they have to get in there and do all these um, charts and graphs and metrics and slides, which are not the things that they love to do as a sales professional, that can be a little (laughs) bit of a rude awakening, right? So that takes some acclimation as well. So I think they really appreciate having someone like me come in there and, you know, just be there to keep an eye on the sales team and make sure that, that, um, that they're adopting to this change of leader and helping facilitate that thought process and kind of maintaining the culture while also helping that sales manager learn more about how to do that themselves in the future. So I think that's, um, you know, almost by accident I realized how valuable that is to companies and that's become something, like I said, is more, that there's more demand for now than I've seen ever before.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Well, um, not something that we were necessarily planning on talking about today, (laughs) but it is just such a, such a key, um, Um, such a key thing as you're looking to grow your organization as as you're looking at your team. So I'm glad that we, that we discovered that. Yeah, I'm passionate Um, about
1: that one for sure.
0: Me too. All right. Well, um, Back to kind of the the bulk of what we're going to be talking about today, which is your book. Um, I absolutely love that premise because mm-hmm. I know that there are a lot of salespeople and sales leaders who are concerned about, um, you know, maybe it's about promoting your your top salesperson, but the big concern is. Does my job even matter anymore? Am Mm -hmm. I still relevant with all the AI solutions that are developed? You know, buyers are buying differently and they're seeing all kinds of other um, potential solutions. So how did you come up with the premise for your book and, and the idea around it?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, there's a lot of different things that came together It was almost a perfect storm. So I've been reading a lot about this, you know, this, I guess I call it fear mongering of by 2020, 50 million sales jobs are going to be obsolete because of AI and machine learning, et cetera, et cetera. You just see a lot of that after a while. And I'm kind of like that, that's not true. I'm going to call BS on that. There may be some sales jobs that are going to go, but the B2B sales professional is not obsolete yet. And I don't see that per- happening completely in our lifetime. Now, what I will say though, there is, a caveat because if there are sales professionals out there that are selling very in a very transactional manner where they're selling for example products or equipment or uh, something that's straightforward that doesn't require a lot of complex thinking and helping the customer solve complex problems those those roles are a little bit susceptible susceptible excuse me for that they are the ones that are going to be at risk because those are the types of activities that computers and ai machine learning that can take that over there are there is technology to help do that and consumers, I think, even B2B buyers are getting used to having an easy button, That right? they like to go to Amazon and be able to buy something really quickly and have it delivered in two days. So if you're selling something that could be sold on Amazon readily, then it probably will be, or the customers will be looking for it there, or a similar site like CDW. Um, I do a lot of work in the tech space, so that's where my examples come from. So I think they're, they're, the fear is valid for those individuals, but I don't think that hope is lost. I think knowing that, that those individuals, those sales professionals can start thinking about the future and how they can upskill and what they can do to help grow their um, competencies and how they approach selling in a, in a way that will make them more relevant. And so that, that thought process was all happening on one side. Then on the other side, I had a very real conversation with one of the sales professionals i coach so i do a lot of uh, i'm an embedded coach so what that means is that i get to um, have the opportunity to go out on actual sales calls with some of the people that i coach which is invaluable to me um, and to them and one of the reps that i worked with and i'll call him neil we went to a customer meeting and the meeting went okay i mean it wasn't anything incredible it wasn't really noteworthy. But it went okay, we were going to get another meeting. And so after that, we decided to go grab a drink nearby. And so we sat down. And as we started to talk, and a couple drinks passed by, he started to share with me, you know, some some challenges that he saw in his own future, like, how am I going to juggle all the changes that are going on with buyers? How am I going to stay up to date and current on the information that they need? Are robots going to take my job? And, and that's, of course, to me, that was very hard to hear just in general because it's something that I care about. But then it got even worse, right? So then he started to talk about how in his career, he's never had to worry about financial issues at all because he's always been a top performer. Commission checks just rolled in and it was not something he ever really had to worry that much about. But now it was getting to the point where you know, the, everything is becoming more and more commoditized and he's having a harder time differentiating. Bottom line is that means that he might have to go home one day and tell his wife, you know, who hasn't worked in... X years that she might have to go back to work because mm-hmm. they want to have the life livelihood that they've had so far, or his kids are going to have to come out of the private school that they're in. And so for me, the kind of person I am right away, I mean, I'm kind of like my empathy sensors going haywire at this point, because I just can't bear this idea that this person that I know is a great sales professional, works hard, does everything right, is genuinely having to fear these things. And I know that in him is a way to make, these things not be an issue anymore. He can differentiate himself at a level that most sales professionals can't. And that's what a lot of top performers do in complex sales. So from that, that's where the book came from. It kind of came from this thought of these guys, my guys, I call them my guys and gals out there, they're struggling with so many different pressures. So what can I do to help them? And that is the thought process that went into this book and the idea of the bots, that that just was a really good wrapper for it. I mean, it, it, that's the overarching fear in our um, mm-hmm. in our world right now. But within that, there's so many different things about value and how to create value. So it, it addresses both of those things.
0: Absolutely. And uh, I love the way that you put that together, because it, it really does go together. If, yeah. if you are able to provide value to people, they will still need to and want to yeah. work with you. Yeah. But I, I, the, the fact that you use the Amazon example was perfect. That was literally the one that was in the back of my <laughs> mind. Um, we have in the past worked with clients who sold products mm-hmm. that could be easily bought. On an Amazon, yeah. and in that case, y- you do have to figure out what's your value add, right? And you could help people select the absolute best version of your product for them. Mm-hmm. You could help people um, identify, you know, how to how to implement, or you could even help them with the implementation That's- and and provide some consultative support there. But if you're not adding anything, if literally all you're doing is taking an order that can be done online and a buyer is going to be very very frustrated and actually become upset with you mm-hmm. if you put barriers in place for something they feel they should just be able to buy um, and i i see that as well i see organizations that say you know we're, we're not willing to to show you a demo or we're not willing to provide this information to you until you schedule a meeting until you do blah 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 mm-hmm. you know jump through these hoops but people are saying i that's not the service that I'm looking for. And you can't tell your buyers that they can't get the service they're looking for. I mean, you know, there's that whole cliche, the customer is always right, but it, it it has to be true. I mean, you have to, you have to trust in your customers. You have to, you have to believe in them that they're going to want to work with you if you make it easy for them. And then you have to provide them with the information and, um, and the process that they're asking for. If you're making it really difficult to buy, one of your competitors is going to start to make it easy
1: and exactly um, right. you're
0: going to fall behind.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, and I think it's, it's almost like if you're prolonging the process for buying for these um, buyers, you are not valuable to them like just in general that's something that they can do simpler somewhere else i promise you it'll be just a matter of time before they do um you know that's just the general that's just the direction that we're going in i think one of the things that's really important to me and i talk about it a lot in the book is you know there's this idea of value at a very general level so any particular product um, has some value to it my example that i like to use is a toothbrush right a toothbrush exists to clean teeth the value that it brings to people is that it that helps them clean their teeth And every toothbrush that's made has that intention. Well, if you work for a company like Oral-B, for example, and you're selling toothbrushes, now you can maybe go back and say, hey, we're Oral-B, we've, as a company, created this app that ties to your toothbrush that allows you to monitor how how much time you're spending in each part of your mouth or whatever that piece of data is. And so now that company has differentiated more than any other company in that space. And so for that amount of time that they are able to differentiate, you're going to love it as a seller. Like right? so Whoever's selling mm-hmm. that type of a product is going to be happy. But the trick is that differentiation at the company level is finite because it doesn't take very long for competitors to mimic or to you know go and innovate in the same way that you did as a company. So company value is differentiating, but it's finite and then last and most important is it's it's the personalized value that's the value that comes from the human to human interaction between a seller and a buyer and what that means is not just a function of you know the seller in their role facilitating the sales process and the buyer in their role facilitating their buying decision it's about who that seller is what they stand for and how they make that matter to that customer and that customer's mm-hmm. unique needs not just professionally, but potentially personally too. Mm-hmm. You know, If I'm a buyer in a company, I'm motivated by what my role um, is and I'm motivated by what my life is. And I was just talking to someone the other day and uh, I asked them a question. I said, okay, so if that doesn't happen, there was a change that they were looking at doing. And when they do the solution implementation, they said, okay, if that weren't to happen, what would be the impact on that that customer, not professionally, personally, and they had to really Mm -hmm. think about it. But then they figured out, you know what, the impact would be that they now don't have to go out and spend time after hours and weekends to go work on these issues, et cetera. And I said, well, bingo, (laughs) that's the thing that you need to go back and talk to them about because that's where value lives for them, not just in what the company is going to gain when they buy that product or solution, but what that individual is going to gain. So it's on us as sales professionals to really understand the customer and what motivates them and what they need, because value is one of these things that just means different things to different people. And that's what we have to look at.
0: Yeah, I, I love that example, um, both of the ones that you gave there, because, you know, you could feel as a company selling a product like a toothbrush, you know what, we're just going to race to the bottom. <laughs> we're going to try to figure out what's the cheapest we could possibly make this toothbrush. What's the, you know, how could we how could we move our factories around? How could right. we, you know, reduce any friction in the process? And certainly there's, there's a market, there's a space for companies that are doing that. Um, and that's fine. That's hopefully not... Not the strategy of our listeners today, right. and hopefully you're thinking about growing a sustainable business and and providing value to people. And if so, um, just figuring out how do you distinguish. And we don't have sponsors for the podcast, but I listen to a lot of podcasts, and so I know that I very commonly recommend a toothbrush. Is the Quip toothbrush? And it, <laughs> there you go. I I succumbed right to the ads, and I actually have one. Yeah. And the, the key, it's not like the weirdest toothbrush. It's not like it's revolutionary, mm-hmm. but they said you brush heads on a scheduled basis, oh, yeah. and they figured out, you know what, I had an electric toothbrush for a long time and it got kind of gross sometimes because I would forget to replace the head. Mm-hmm. And so if they make it really easy for me, I am exactly the type of millennial buyer that they are looking for mm-hmm. to just um, have them tell me exactly when I should change my toothbrush head and send it to me. So, huh. so figuring out how do you take a basic commodity and add a service to it, add, add value to it. And it's, it, it requires sometimes an actual change in your business model. You're not just making a toothbrush anymore. You're actually now a tech company or, you know, um, but if that's what you need to do to stay afloat, then that's what you need to do. And so figuring out when it's appropriate, when it's necessary to make these big changes um, and then being bold enough to to move forward.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that what you said right there at the end is so important. Be bold enough to make those changes. I think a lot of times company, when I look at companies, um, B2C, for example, you can differentiate at that company level and be very, very successful. In B2B sales, however, you have to get to that next level, that personalized value, because all the companies that you're working with, all the different competitors are going to be at the same level as the company. And so it's important as leaders to recognize, okay, what can we do to help these sales professionals create value and in this new business model where we do want to enable these sales professionals to create that value what does that look like what do we have to provide them what what will help them to do that with each and every buyer so there's a lot that goes into that and it does require um, someone to be bold and someone to understand that a change of that level does require a lot of thought and communication and all those things so then you get into the whole culture conversation so i mean we're at a point we're at an inflection point in our world right now in sales that we, we have to look at the direction that the world is going. And it's going into a much more buyer-oriented, buyer-centric, buyer-driven world. And in order to succeed in that world, as long as humans are doing the buying, we as humans, B2B sales professionals, have to learn how to sell at that level that will make an impact on the other human that is buying.
0: Absolutely, and I like to encourage people, put yourself in the shoes of your customers. Exactly. Would you be willing to buy the way that you're trying to sell, mm-hmm. and if you think no, I wouldn't do that, then that's a sign <laughs> that you should probably change your process because we're in the same space as our buyers typically. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's it's like you said, these are cultural trends. These yeah. are you know, I it, it, honestly, the way Amazon alone mm-hmm. has changed expectations around even shipping time. Mm-hmm. If I buy something online and they tell me it's going to take four to six weeks to ship it to me. I'm shocked and horrified. Yeah. Um, even if they tell, tell me it'll take like three to five days to ship to me, I'm like, but two days. exactly. And, and that's a complete change that's happened in the last like five years. Yes. I mean, it, 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 this, this is happening a lot now. So that actually um, kind of pivots me to, to what I wanted to talk about next, because I do see that there are some sales teams that ride every single wave of innovation. Mm-hmm. Anytime a new technology comes out they're implementing it. You know, they've, they've got the AI um, email responses. They've got machine learning. They're, they're tracking all kinds of data. They know exactly what they need to do every single day. Um, and then there are others who feel like they can't even necessarily match the needs of the market today, much less the challenges of tomorrow. So if you're talking to that second group who feel like maybe you're already a little bit behind, what would you say to them?
1: I mean, I would say that they need to take a long, hard look at what their market demands and the direction the market's going in. My feel in general on technology is technology is only as good as the person who's wielding it, right? So if you've got Mm -hmm. a technology that you're implementing, for example, in sales, you could say something like a CRM. That CRM could be the most incredible, powerful CRM ever. But if your sales professionals aren't going to use it to even 10% of its capability, that's not the kind of investment that you wanna make, right, because you're never gonna recognize what your intention was with putting that CRM in place. So if I'm a company that's lagging behind, I wanna make sure that I make the right decision about what type of technology but always considering who my people are and what their capabilities are and will they be able to adopt that technology to a level that will actually make a difference because the last thing any company needs is to go make another investment in some technology that is just going to sit there and not even be utilized. So it's take a long, look, long hard look at your market, understand the direction it's going in and then find technology that's going to help facilitate your success in that space.
0: Absolutely. I had um, a conversation and I forget if it was actually on the podcast or if it was just my conversation with the, with the guest um, before or after the show, but um, what we talked about is any, any complex technology platform is basically a super, super complicated Excel spreadsheet.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if
0: you cannot implement the behavior yeah. within something like Excel – You're not going to use whatever the platform is. And I actually had this conversation with um, an organization last week. We're doing some pro bono work with, um, with an organization. And right now they have nothing in place in terms of technology. And they were considering implementing a CRM system to track leads. Yep. And they do have a big pain point around lead tracking. They're losing track of, of some opportunities and I 100% understand why it is that they're that they're exploring this. Right. But they don't have a culture right now mm-hmm. that can drive the the effective use of a system. Exactly. And so I gave them an Excel template and I said you need to first adopt this Excel template and use this. And once you get to the point where the team is consistently entering the information in this Excel template, then you're ready to explore CRM. But but you've got to walk sometimes before you run.
1: I love that. That is So that is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. I mean, if, if you've got a, a person, a user, whoever it is, whether it's a sales professional or somebody in finance, it doesn't matter. If they're not at a level of sophistication that justifies that technology that's so sophisticated, you're setting yourself up for failure. Not not only are you setting the company up for failure, you're setting that individual up for failure. And, and where's the fun in that? That is going to then impact the culture when you're, um, you know, taking the demoralizing them for not being able to adopt the technology to the degree that was expected but that measurement that expectation was based on a completely different company leveraging that same technology so it's very important that you find what fits um i was talking to a client the other day and we were just looking at you know why why aren't these sales professionals um you know using xyz and finally it was a tool that was you know supposed to help them with their conversations with their customers etc and i said to the uh, the sales leader. I said, you know what? It's more than just the fact that the technology is hard. It's fear, right? They're afraid that they're going to lean on this technology and it's going to make them look a fool in front of their customer. Now, if there's one thing I know Uh for sure, it's that no salesperson is going to do anything that they even think for a second is going to make them look a fool. So that's what you have to address is that fear. And if you can't, then it doesn't matter how great that technology is. They're not going to use it.
0: Absolutely. And we used to um, work with a CRM integration partner. And the vast majority of their clients were not companies who had never had CRM before. Mm -hmm. They were companies who had a CRM and were getting absolutely no value from it. And they had to engage a consultant to basically work with them yeah. and figure out, you know, how should we customize the system? How do we need to train your team? Because it was honestly more about training the team than customizing the system yeah. um, to, to get the value out of it. And it's not, and I love that you said this, this is not bashing salespeople. Ooh. If they if they have not been trained to use the system, if they don't understand how it's going to add value, if they feel like it's going to make things um harder for them or make them fail or make them look you know silly in front of somebody else mm-hmm. that's on you as the organization not on them.
1: That's exactly right.
0: And um, so often we see that there are people who almost are, are too easy to, to just get really excited about a technology solution thinking that that's going to solve all their, all their problems and uh, it, it, and it's probably not, honestly. And it's something that is is going to be um, potentially a distraction for people. That's you know, great. I see salespeople sometimes that get caught up in in using tools, and they're almost. Performing is more of a marketing function um, mm-hmm. than even a, a sales function because of because of how they're using the tools that they have. And so, you know, what do you want your salespeople to actually spend time doing and make sure that you're not giving them tools that are almost motivating them to, to be doing different things? Yeah, because right. that, that is something that I, I do often see.
1: Yeah, I mean, you you don't want to motivate the wrong behavior. I mean, the other thing about tools and technologies is that salespeople can learn very quickly. I mean, these are sharp individuals; they can learn how to manipulate the system, right? So, don't be as leaders, um, whether it's at the C level or sales leaders, don't think that that they won't find a way to game the system um, unless they are they have to be bought into the system. Otherwise, they will find a way to game it, and that's just human nature. I mean, you can't expect someone to want to go through a long extended process and. do all these things if they don't even see the value in why they're doing it so I think the biggest thing is with sales professionals you have to sell them first and then they will um, you know then they'll go ahead and use that tool and help you create the ROI that you're looking for and I, I work with sales reps a lot in the context of training them and you know it's very interesting so they they will have a training from you know a different organization they'll compare it to what they did with me and one of the things that they say is that you're just you tell it like it is I mean you're just real with us and, and you understand us and it's it's one of those things where you've got people that are out there that are training that have never ever sold right that have never Uh been in a sales context but they're very very good and they've got a lot of um, intelligence and they're academically oriented but salespeople will look at those leaders those uh, um trainers and eat them (laughs) chew them up and spit them out because they you don't know me (laughs) right like you don't know me you don't know my plight so you don't get to tell me how to do it and so i think that's it's a similar principle where In order to make a good decision about technology, you have to know your sales force, you have to know their needs and their challenges, and then apply that knowledge to the selection process, as opposed to we're going to go implement something because it's going to allow us to have better data. I hear that all the time. And I just want to scream. It's like, I'm glad you leaders want data. But guess what? You're going to have bogus data if you try to make the salespeople do something that is completely irrelevant to them.
0: Absolutely. Um, Funny story uh, that I heard from a client. This was years and years ago. But their organization had implemented um, phone tracking. So instead of making people and they actually thought that this would be easier for the team. So instead of logging a call, um, it would just track how many phone calls you made. So they had two reps who were calling each other. And they had somebody else who was calling their mom and you know if you if you put a statistic in place and your and your system you know to track it, um, you have to consider do people understand why it is that you're tracking it? because if if there's a good reason and you actually take the time to explain it to people rather than mm-hmm. just assume that, that they should agree with you, people will be willing. A lot right. of times, to to use whatever system that you've you've provided to, to track things the way that you ask them to. It's mm-hmm. when your you seem arbitrary, right. when you seem like you just kind of decided to do something out of nowhere that it's not reasonable mm-hmm. in that case to necessarily expect people to follow along. And so, if you if you're really taking people seriously and and respecting them mm. by by communicating by you know sharing with them they'll, they'll respect you as well. It's kind of a, you know, you have to, you have to do your part.
1: Yeah. You have to give it to get it right. Like you have to be able to respect the sales professionals and what they're doing. um, You know, specific to our context, of course, that you have to know what they need and ask them, like, don't just sit there and try to figure out what it is or what you read somewhere as a leader that, Hey, this is a great, um, you know, technology. Okay. It's a great technology, but is that technology great for your um, sales reps? And one of the things I like to say, To sales reps themselves as they're selling technology to customers is you know it's not about that shiny new object it's about how that object shines for that customer like that's that's where you have to get to people will chase the shiny object but that object is useless unless you know what the heck to do with it um, and how to make it useful and that's where change enablement i think is this idea that's kind of coming to fruition and it's so important as value add as sales leaders if we can find a way to build some sort of change enablement in the process with our customers where we help them implement or we help them adopt i think that goes a very very long way and is a huge differentiator
0: Absolutely. And, you know, what you were saying about having your sales reps kind of help scope out Mm -hmm. um, whatever it is that you're doing, that's really important. And anytime you're doing a kind of needs analysis of a new product, a new platform, uh, make sure you've got your salespeople uh, on that team, on that decision team. But back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of, you know, um, improving your offering in terms of maybe expanding and, and doing new and different things. That's another great time that you want to engage your salespeople because they're the ones who are out in the market talking to your customers. Sometimes, depending on the structure of your organization, they have more face time with your customers and with prospects than anybody else on the team. And yet you've got a product team who maybe never has those interactions Mm -hmm. and they're the ones who are designing your new innovations, your right. new um, your new things that you're going to market with? That's uh, a little silly, yeah, <laughs> and right. so really think about how are we getting information from the salespeople and um, letting them. S- Tell us what it is that that the market might want. Again, that's not their full time job, yeah. but they know what they want to sell. They know what people want to buy from them, yes. and they'll tell you if you ask.
1: That's it, and that's the, that's the key to it, right? You have to ask. And one of the things that I like to advocate, and it's an idea that I think a lot of people just kind of shudder at um, in leadership, but it's this idea of sales first. I mean, we talk a lot about companies that are customer first, and I and I get that, um, you know, or that you are focused on your buyer. But what I like to say is that there is one group in a company that knows that customer better than anybody else and that is the sales organization so instead of looking at it as you know customer first let's take that up a notch and say let's make it sales first so that now this company all of the teams the organizations aligned behind this sales professional who whose sole job is to understand that customer and their pains and help solve them. I think everything works so much better when you are able to do that in terms of growth. I mean, if we're talking about actually wanting growth, that's the way to do it, is to make sure that that growth engine, which is the sales organization, is uh, fueled and that everyone's behind it. And I think that's something that gets lost in the shuffle, especially when you have companies that are more operationally oriented or um, you know, more just straight technology oriented. You have to have leadership understand that sales is the growth engine. And if you don't do what needs to happen to make those people successful, you will not grow.
0: Absolutely. And if anybody has ever been a part of a company that failed because uh-huh. of a lack of sales, yeah. they will have a, have a deep understanding yeah. of that. But if, if they've always been a part of a company that just seemed to you know, people just seem to buy what what it is that they sold. Um, Sometimes there are people who don't really understand the value of sales. And, and then you need to really have a conversation with them. You know, even if it's just uh, one person on your team, maybe a key executive who doesn't Mm -hmm. seem to value the the contributions of the sales team, um, that, that is where as a sales leader, you can be a real advocate for your team. And you need to, because, um, salespeople can tell when the organization doesn't support them, whether it's just kind of a lack of respect or a lack of understanding or a lack of resourcing. And I'm not saying that they're prima donnas and you need to give them everything, but, um, you know, your company will fail if you don't sell anything uh, in just about any business. So, um, You know
1: they're important people to have on the team. Well, I knew their insight. I was talking to um, one of my newer coaching clients yesterday, and he was talking about an opportunity that he's working on. He's B two B tech sales, and you know, at one point he just said, "I wish that I didn't have to spend so much time selling." Internally, so that I could spend more time focusing selling externally. I uh-huh. am sad to report how much that resonated with me because I see it all the time. But when you make there make so many obstacles internally for a sales professional to sell, then how do you expect them to make a change in how much the company can grow? They have no time to. So I think that's Absolutely. another challenge. We have to make the. We always talk about let's make the buying process um, low friction and reduce the friction and challenges. Do it internally. Let's reduce the friction around how a salesperson can actually make a sale. That is the buyer and the salesperson.
0: And what I see time and time and time again is companies are infected by the way they sell and that turns into the way they buy. And so if you have really demanding customers and they make you jump through hoops you end up adding more hoops to both your sales process and your internal processes. And you don't have to do that. You can streamline things for your organization. You can make things as easy as possible for both your internal team and for prospects. And then maybe you'll actually infect the prospects the other way. And instead of them making things more and more and more complicated, things will get easier. It is possible. But um, so many organizations don't seem to even be trying to do that. They just kind of blindly follow along where, uh, you know, where their customers have been and the the processes that their customers have used. And a lot of times, there are just unnecessary steps that have been added to processes, and nobody can even tell you why that is.
1: That's exactly (laughs) it. And then, I mean, and the customers, by the way, are sitting there, they're waiting for someone to come help them and to tell them these things, and they don't know who that is. So when you become that sales professional that does get in there and help them, um, and I think it was the... um, the book was called like the Challenger Customer. It was by the people who mm-hmm. did Challenger Sale, and I like Challenger Sale, but I really liked some of the things in Challenger Customer because it talks about, you know, how you have to help reduce the um, friction and the dysfunction in a customer company. And that's something I've always said as a sales professional: whatever you can do to help make it smoother for that customer, not just with your company, but internally to buy that product, that is where value lives for that customer, right? Like, how do you make them look good? How do you make sure that they have what they need to present internally? All of those types of things, that's where you can make a big difference.
0: Absolutely. And back to what you were talking about all the way at the beginning, Mm -hmm. that's providing that individual value, right? Um, If you have a, if you have a buyer who says I have to develop a spreadsheet of all the different um, vendors that we're talking to and I have to speak to at least five different vendors and I have to collate the information in this way and blah 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 you know step 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 okay. and it sounds super complicated to say you know I'd love to help you in this um, even you might consider, we have a document that we've developed that compares exactly. us to some of our main competitors. I'd be happy to provide that to you. Yeah, exactly. um, and it, it shouldn't be, by the way, a marketing document that says you're perfect and they're all terrible. <laughs> um, be objective <laughs> there. Yes. It, in a lot of industries, everybody's just about the same. That's right. And just making it easy yeah. for that buyer like that to say, hey, I'm going to give you this information. It's probably not everything you need, but maybe it's a big step toward it they're going to put a little gold star next to your company name because you did that. Um, and it, you know, a great blog post to have on your website or, or a page to have or a resource to have is, you know, how to buy our product, our service, whatever it is, you know, how to evaluate, uh, a consulting company, how to, um, how to consider what CRM solution is the right fit, whatever it is that you're selling, tell people how they should think and how they should approach that conversation. And, what I think a lot of people uh, in sales organizations don't realize is that buyers want to have what they want to be guided. Um, If they're interacting with you, if you give them an agenda, a lot of times they will follow that agenda. Mm -hmm. It's what they feel like they're not sure who's leading this, that then they're going to push the limits and they're going to, they're going to take over if it doesn't seem like you have a plan. So if you come in with a plan, a lot of times, not everybody, but a lot of times, they're they're just going to follow that plan as is yep. um, because they they feel like you know what you're doing.
1: That's it. And I mean, it, some salespeople I think um, struggle with that idea of I don't I want to do what my customer thinks we need to do, or I don't want to take control away from the customer. You're not. You're actually helping that customer. You're helping mm-hmm. them make it easier to buy. Um, if you take control because of all the experience and expertise you have in selling and helping customers buy really is what it boils down to now you're you're putting them in a situation where they're going to be successful excuse me in the process um where they wouldn't have been necessarily before because they don't understand the agenda that needs to happen for this stage of the sale or the agenda that has to happen for this stage it just it just depends on who they are and how you can help them be successful i think at the end of the day that's what matters learn your customer well enough to figure out what success means what success looks like to them and find a way to deliver that in every nook and cranny of that process the sales process in motion do that and uh, sometimes if they're if they're kind of flailing and they don't necessarily know what to do Make take control of the sales process and make it mm-hmm. easy for them and show them why you're doing it um, the way you're doing it because of your experience. And I think that is something that customers value a lot.
0: Absolutely. Something to remember if you're in a sales organization, if you're leading or just a member of that sales organization, the person that is buying this service, this offering that you're selling, this might be the first time they've ever bought it. Right. You sell it all the time. Exactly. <laughs> you know exactly what, what questions they should be asking. Mm-hmm. They don't even know what questions to ask. Nope. You could tell them. Here are some questions that you might consider asking exactly. um, anybody that you're talking to about this. That's a value that oh you're God. adding.
1: And they're not going to want to buy from anybody else, a robot or a competitor, right? Because they know that what you've done for them is something that other people wouldn't do. You've taken their interest to heart. You've become, instead of becoming a salesperson, you've become an advocate for their success. And that is the person who stands up and not, you know, knocks out the robots and competitors. That person <laughs> is the one that does that.
0: Absolutely. Well, this has been uh, a ton of fun, Anita. And I'm, I'm so glad that we had a chance to take this deep dive. Now, a question I always like to ask, um, I'm a big reader and I learn a lot mm-hmm. from from reading. So in, ed- in addition to your book, which obviously everybody should check out, what are some more books that you would recommend to our listeners?
1: Well, so right now there's, well, so one I would say for all salespeople that you'd have to read is The Transparency Sale. And I say this every time someone asks me. It's by Todd Caponi. And it's just brilliant. It, it, it hits at the heart of a lot of the things that we're saying about how sales has changed and it needs to be a much more real real um, you know, kind of human, honest, transparent uh, way of business. And that's the one I think from a sales standpoint. And one that I've just started reading and I love it is called Upstream. And this is a book by Dan Heath, who is um, one of the authors, one of the brothers who authored books like Switch it's awesome because it talks about how you can be more proactive and help prevent issues before they arise which sometimes it's a different way of thinking and i think when you look at companies and cultures a lot of times the challenges that are faced there are from the lack of a proactive mindset and how business is done or the lack of asking questions so i'm obsessed with this book and i think i've heard every chapter twice already um but it's something that I think not just companies, but individuals and our society could use is this idea of going back to the ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. <laughs>
0: Definitely. It's so funny that you mentioned that because I just literally yesterday heard him interviewed on a podcast oh, about really? that book. And I, I added it to the top of my list of things that I need to get and read. Well, there Because you go. Um, th- the whole concept uh, is just so incredibly powerful. The story that he gave about, about why he came up with the title yes. upstream is a funny one. I'm yes. not going to spoil that. I don't but, either, um, but yes, absolutely. Enjoy that. And uh, it, so much of, of success is being able to to see what what might be coming from upstream Mm -hmm. and develop a plan in advance as opposed to reacting on the tail end and that that kind of ties a bow around our whole conversation because um, that's what you're working on with with your clients and that's what what your book is really all about
1: absolutely it has been a wonderful conversation i am sure we could go on for hours so i thank you for your time and for having me today
0: yeah. Thank you so much for, for being on the show. It Like you said, um, we, we could keep talking and talking and talking, but yeah. this was good. Um, so Anita, if you want people to learn more about you and your work, where should they go?
1: So they can go. I do a lot of work on LinkedIn, a lot of content sharing. So LinkedIn is a great um, place to find me. And also my website, www.ldkadvisory.com. You can find information about the book, um, about me, all those kinds of things. I think those are the two places where you'll find stuff about me. And the book of course is just, it's on Amazon.
0: Wonderful. All right. Well, again, I am so glad that we could have you on the show and I'm sure our listeners will as well. Thank you. And thank you to all of the listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and the resources for everything we've been talking about today at criteriaforsuccesscom slash pod two, three, eight. Be sure to tune in on Friday for another inspirational episode And if the topic of innovation is intriguing to you, don't forget that I gave a presentation at the International Institute for Learning's Leadership and Innovation Online Conference. The conference is live from March 5th through June 7th. um, With all of the people that seem to be quarantined or working from home, maybe it's a good time to, to attend an online conference. And you can use the code FREDERICK, my last name. F-R-E-D-E-R-I-C-K and get $10 off your registration for the conference. Uh, Obviously, I spoke, uh, I talked about nurturing an innovative team, but there are a lot of other great speakers, um, really valuable presentations. I've been enjoying checking them out. Um, If you're enjoying the podcast, please recommend us to a friend and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you're listening. While you're there, please, please, please leave us a rating or a review. That will help more people find the show, and it lets us know what's working and where we have room to improve. Remember to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Arianna Miskell, Laura Marchot, Mark Krogan, and me, Elizabeth Frederick. Happy selling!